0: You're listening to The Corbett Report. Report CorbettReport.com Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends, one and all, to the Corbett Report podcast. I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan, where it is currently the fourth day of March 2013. I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in for this edition of the podcast, another installment of our ongoing Questions for Corbett series. And this is the third installment for those of you keeping track at home. But for those of you who have not seen this series before, what I am doing is collecting some of the questions that are coming in via the contact form on CorbettReport.com and via the Twitter feeds and via YouTube comments, etc. and trying to answer them here. Uh, out in the open so that everyone gets a chance to see them because I do get a lot of the same questions over and over. So I think that this will be helpful and instructive for people in a lot of different ways. Uh, Once again, the first two installments of this series are available from the podcast tab on CorbettReport.com or also available as videos on YouTube. So you can find that in the archives. And uh, as always, I will accept uh, questions via uh, email, via YouTube comments, via Twitter. Uh, I will also leave the video response open on this uh, video so that you can send in a video question if you so desire, and I'll do my best to get back to you. So, uh, once again, this is an ongoing series. We'll get to uh, more as the comments and questions continue to roll in, as they do continue to roll in, but we want to keep it relatively short. Let's try to keep it to half an hour, and we have a lot of questions to go through, so let's get right into it, and let's start off with uh, some... Some good questions, Uh, one coming in from the YouTube user Green Crow, who wrote on the last questions for Corbett, wrote a comment. Recently, I saw my home on Google Earth, and it got me wondering how on Earth could Google afford to take pictures of literally every property on Earth, ostensibly. Costing that out in my mind, including the inevitable regular updates, it likely costed in the quadruple zillions of dollars. Who has that kind of money? I don't think even Google has it. Who paid for Google Earth? All right, Green Crow, thank you for the question. It is a good question. Uh, obviously, that does require incredible resources to have a satellite imagery. Uh, system that maps most of the world. Um, It is quite an extensive project. So as you can imagine, there is uh, significant government and yes, surprise, surprise, intelligence agency hands in it. So I have covered this on the program before. Uh, I will throw a link into an eye-opener report that I did uh, last year called Silicon Spies, the US Government and the Tech Revolution, going over how the US uh, government and the uh, intelligence agencies have their fingerprints all over the Silicon. Valley tech revolution. And in that uh, video, which again will be linked up in the show notes for this podcast, uh, I will just read from the uh, a part of the, the transcript here that goes over this. It says, quote, in 2005, in sold over 5,000 shares of Google stock. It is not exactly clear how the CIA's venture capital firm ended up with 5,000 shares of Google stock, but it is believed to have come when Google bought out Keyhole Inc., the the developer of the software that later became Google Earth. The company's name, Keyhole, is a non-too-subtle reference to the Keyhole class of reconnaissance satellites that the U.S. intelligence agencies have been using for decades to commit 3D imaging and mapping analysis. And quote uh, once again. Please go and take a look at that whole video on uh, on my website. But uh, for those of you who didn't quite catch that, yes, Keyhole is a company that was uh, founded and launched and, and grown with inQtel money. Incutel being literally the venture capital uh, firm arm of the CIA. And they sold it off to Google and that became Google Earth. So yes, again, it does have intelligence agency roots. And uh, this is at least part of the things that Nexus is Google directly into the US intelligence network. So it is an important piece of the puzzle. I'm glad that you brought up that question. Let's move along to uh, our next email that we got in from the number 10. It's my first time to get an email from a numeral. So thank you, 10, for sending in your question. Uh, the number 10 writes, regarding the North Korea, the North Korea. Is there proof that there is cannibalism going on? Is there is psyop and disinfo? I'm not sure what that means. Is is it a psyop disinfo? Where is the evidence and can you provide it? Is there someone living in Korea who can honestly vouch for this? End quote. Okay, all uh, grammatical. Um, eccentricities there are in the original. So that was not a transcription error, but um, yes. Okay. So this is a, a good question. You want to find the sources for, for things that are being claimed. For example, when I talk about cannibalism in North Korea, do I have documents to back it up? Yes, I do. So for example, I was on RT last year to discuss how the U.S. was using uh, Kissinger's food as a weapon plan to starve North Korea. And uh, I suggest people go and refamiliarize themselves with that video. But in that video, I also linked up the police documents that uh come directly from smuggled out from north korea that again confirm the cannibalism that's going on there there's all sorts of other reports of cannibalism and how that uh how that is sourced, but of course North Korea being one of the most walled-off nations on the planet, it is uh, difficult for any reporter to ever uh, do any kind of independent journalism related to that. But yes, no, I I think there's a lot of tendency for people to be skeptical of these types of things and claims when they hear them because they've heard a lot of things being said about Gaddafi and Assad and people etc. who've gone against the New World Order per se. But as I've said before and as I'll say again, I am not a fan or a supporter of the, the regime in North Korea, and just because uh, they're the enemy of my enemy doesn't mean they're my friend. Every government on this planet is an enemy to one extent or another. They are all oppressive regimes that do not uh, have the moral authority to exist on this planet, and the, be- the sooner people get that through their head and stop associating themselves with dictators who starve their, their, uh, their, their people with the active support of the U.S., the better. Um, let's move on to the next question, which is uh, along similar lines, perhaps. Um, we have Uh, John writing in, he says in episode one, six, nine, Argentina and the IMF during the news, you mentioned that the EFF was funded by Soros. Is this true? Why would he fund such an organization? Since from what I can tell, they are doing a good job of protecting our freedom on the internet. My concern is should I support them or not? Thank you for the email, John. Uh, yes, it is true that uh, Soros does support the EFF. This is not something that I made up off the top of my head. So I will include a link into the 2009-2010 annual report of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which is available on EFF.org. I'll include the link in the show notes. So you can go there directly yourself and you can see that of the foundation sponsors of uh, the EFF uh, includes the the Tides Foundation and the Open Society Institute. Both uh, Soros run uh like, organizations. Also the Bohemian Foundation. I haven't actually looked into that. I'm just noticing it now that I'm looking at it. I wonder if that's Bohemian, as in the Bohemian Grove, the Bohemian Club. I'm not sure what that is. But uh, but at any rate, there are a lot of foundation sponsors in there, the MacArthur Foundation and, and all sorts that you would expect to find in this type of foundation-funded and run organization. So the question is, should I support them? I thought they've been doing a good job of protecting internet freedoms. Well, this is the conundrum, isn't it? Because this is something that we often will warn about and we we rail against, for example, the alternative the alternative media outlets that are actually funded by big foundations and get big grants so that they can have big, nice, spacious, wonderful studios with beautiful hosts uh, selling you um, wonderful lies. Um, and we we rail against this in that context. But here we have an organization like EFF. And I have had representatives from EFF on the program in the past, and I've talked about their work. Uh, for example, we had Myra Sutton on to talk about the, the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which probably probably... probably 99% of the people out there who do know about it, which is a small group anyway, wouldn't know about it if it wasn't for the work of people like the EFF. Uh, I've also talked, for example, about uh, things like HTTP TPS Everywhere, which is, um, I, I wouldn't probably even know what HTTPS was if it wasn't for uh, the EFF, and they have a, a Firefox plugin that helps you use H- HTTPS and make use of that. Um, there, There is a lot of great work that comes out of the EFF. They've done some incredible work on the NSA wiretapping cases on all sorts of things like this. So we have a bit of a conundrum. And this is where I think that it's so tempting to be intellectually lazy and sloppy and to say, they get Soros funding, therefore I will not listen to anything they say and everything they say is a lie that's not how it works, friends. I don't believe that it's quite that simple. I wish it was that simple, that if we saw something like that, we could just immediately say everything they've ever said is a lie, everything they say is the opposite of the truth. It doesn't tend to work that way. I think that the real insidious influence of the foundations is the fact that they take things which may be on the surface level and in in, in many ways quite good, and they might be able to mix in one percent of badness into that mixture and, and by that mixture try to pull Loot the whole bunch. I'm not saying that's what's happening in EFF's case. To be honest, I haven't seen an example of EFF being on the wrong side of an internet freedom issue yet, and I think that's really the criteria. That unfortunately, there's no shortcut around it when it comes to something like the EFF. They are in every instance that I have ever checked into. They have been on the right side of the uh, the argument. And I think we have to evaluate organizations like this on a case-by-case basis. You can't say that this organization and everything they do is good. And you can't say this organization and everything they support is wrong or bad. I think we have to look at each single thing they do. And there's just no shortcut to that type of intellectual rigor, which we have to apply to every organization. And that is a lot of, uh, of intellectual rigor to apply. But again, let's not throw baby out with bathwater because... Wouldn't it be so easy then for something like the Soros Foundation to come along and completely spoil a group that is doing good work by donating to them and then everyone in the alternative media going, oh, well, now it's Soros, so now I won't listen to them. So I think, again, we have to be smart about this. We have to take into account what they're saying. We have to verify the information they're telling us. And if it checks out and if it works, then we can look at what they're saying and, and evaluate it based on its merits. Just like every other piece of information, there is no shortcut to intellectual rigor. And uh, and we and again, with an organization like EFF that's done such good work in the past, I wouldn't throw out everything they've ever done because of that connection. But it does, it, it is in the back of my mind. And it's something that I keep in mind when I'm looking at the EFF's work and evaluating whether or not what they're saying is true. And I suggest you do too. Again, there's no shortcut to intellectual rigor. I think I've said that three times now. So I hope we can take that away from, uh, from today's episode if Nothing Else. Um, moving along to a very similar question. We had a, a comment or question in from Alberta who writes, I want to find out how much integrity certain organizations have, specifically Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch. Where should I start? are these NGOs bought and paid for by somebody? Well, again, I think we come to a very similar question uh, as we did with EFF, for example. Um, Can we evaluate the organization as a whole and decide to to scrap everything they've ever said or adopt everything they've ever said wholesale? And again, I don't think the answer is yes. I think we have to be extremely wary of groups like Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International and these other organizations that claim to be the moral authorities in the world, because more often than not, groups like that, especially groups that get a lot of media attention, are in the back pockets of the globalists and are working to a game plan that is in their best interests. So we do have to be skeptical, and we do have reasons to be skeptical for that. Probably the best source for that type of argument that I would recommend people uh, to, to look at is a Land Destroyer Report, Tony Cartolucci, of course, doing excellent work there covering incredibly important geopolitical matters, and he has done some great work on organizations like Amnesty International and others along that, that line. And for example, just type Amnesty into the search bar on Land Destroyer and you'll find reports such as Amnesty International is U.S. State Department propaganda. So, uh, and, and please go read through that. These aren't statements that, that Tony's just making up off the top of his head. He has incredibly copious research to talk specifically about the tie-ins of uh, the U.S. State Department and Amnesty International and, and many of the other groups also. But again, I want to stress that this doesn't mean that we have to take everything they say and, and, uh, and just negate it and say it's wrong. Um, sometimes these groups do, do come out with reports that are extremely important and extremely useful in counteracting the other propaganda that they come out with. For example, Amnesty UK came out with an extremely important report in August of 2011 uh, during the height of the, the Libyan uh, war, uh, in which they, they had a report in Libya, fears for detainees held by anti Gaddafi forces, talking about how black Libyans and sub Saharan Africans were particularly at risk for being locked up and caged. And treated like uh, animals by the Libyan rebels, the freedom fighters that the U.S. and NATO was supporting, and uh, it goes on to talk about some of those situations. Extremely important information and almost universally neglected by the media coverage of the Libyan war. Uh, that led directly into another report that came out from Human Rights Watch in October of 2012: Death of a Dictator, Death of a Dictator, Bloody Vengeance. Insert which uh, talked about the slaughter, the wholesale execution of at least 66 people at the Mahari Hotel insert, after the uh, the death of Gaddafi, which is uh, just a, a brutal story, a disgusting um, war crime. There's absolutely no way around it. And that was covered uh, by Human Rights Watch. Or in the Syrian example, we had, for example, September last year, Human Rights Watch had Syria end opposition use of torture executions, talking about how the, uh, the wonderful Syrian freedom fighters who uh, the U.S. and others are supporting. Uh, are in fact openly engaging in torture and executions and other act- actual war crimes. So again, this this type of thing, sometimes these organizations do cover things that are vastly, extremely important to understanding what's going on and that don't fit in with the the imperialist agenda in places like Libya and Syria. But you'll notice that these reports get z- very, very, very little play in the media and are never referred back to again. They're never looked back on. Whereas, of course, the opposite is the case for the, the propaganda that goes with what they're saying. So every report, no matter how unsubstantiated of, of Assad's uh, war crimes are, are harped on and, and just taken to be um, reality, just taken to be granted um, for in, in news reporting from that point on. So, uh, and, and these types of reports get swept under the rug. So it's not necessarily that these organizations never report on, on things that go against the grain. It's just that those reports that go against the grain will never be reported on themselves. You see how this works? It's a system that works in multiple levels and m- multiple functions. And again, it's who sets the discourse for what is the story in Syria. And if they can convince you, for example, that the story is that only Assad's forces commit uh, atrocities, even if these reports directly con- contradict that well, then they get to set the the the, the news agenda the talking points that uh, that set the water cooler con- con, uh, conversation, although not in this day and age as we 've been documenting here on the program quite a bit. So again, important questions talking about organizations, but I don't want to throw a baby out with the bathwater. I think we have to take them and evaluate claims um, on a case-by-case basis. Uh, Well, we're already halfway through today's episode, so let's uh, keep moving along. Um, We have uh, some uh, related questions in, one from uh, Sean, who writes, I'm struggling to find an answer to an ongoing debate with a few friends regarding the left versus right in politics and what it really means. My interpretation is that it works in a straight line, for far-right being anarchist, meaning little or no government control, and far-left being totalitarian communism, or total control by government, with all the rest in between. My friends argue that political control is expressed in circular formation, with left versus right and fascism versus communism being north and south. Have you any information uh, or good reading material you could recommend on this? Uh, Well, thank you for asking that, Sean. In fact, yes, I do. And I have a piece that is specifically about the left-right idea and how that spectrum, that straight line, is in fact at the very least two-dimensional and we can look at an up-down in politics. It's from an essay I've written called Up-Down Politics that is going to be in my forthcoming book, one of these millennia. I'm sure I'll get around to actually finishing it and publishing it. But in the meantime, you can actually read or listen to an excerpt from that particular um, piece that I wrote in Corbett Report Radio episode 20. So up-down politics, I suggest you check out that whole Corbett Report Radio episode and specifically uh, up-down politics from that episode where I go specifically and talk about this left-right versus up-down and how this all works. And, uh, And so I start introducing that idea, at least, in Corbett Report Radio 020. On a somewhat related note, we have from uh, YouTube user Hunky Dory Order. uh, He says, regarding how to outgrow the government with Andrew Gavin Marshall on Corbett Report Radio, my God, what a good discussion blasts many of my preconceptions of individualism versus collectivism out of the water right there. Uh, Do you think these two concepts are purposefully and dialectically rammed against each other to polarize our concept of a possible social cohesiveness to steer us away from any hope of true independence, end quote. Well, for those of you who don't know what hunky-dory order is referring to there, I will really suggest you go and listen to that Andrew Gavin Marshall conversation we had last year on Corporate Report Radio truly one of the best radio programs I did. Uh, an extremely interesting conversation with some great input. I, I really hope you guys will go and check that one out. And uh, I think there is something to that. I think that we uh, th- there is uh, definitely an attempt to play sides off of each other at every possible opportunity. And one of those possible opportunities is to is to create the sides that, again, we have to join one or the other. There has to be this this uh, conception of individualism versus the collectivism in the paradigm that they have it rather than the understanding that we yes we are individuals but yes we also live in communities and we we interact with our neighbors and that is how we in it, it, we actually get our independence. We get our independence from the government structures by interacting with those around us in, in our local communities. And it's that understanding. It's a, it's a very complex subject. And again, that conversation in Corporate Report Radio last year, I probably could never articulate it better than was articulated in that discussion. So please go and listen to it. But I think you're right. I think there are sides being pitted against each other because that is the way towards political control, divide and conquer is the strategy it has been from centuries at the very least and it will continue to be because it is such an effective tool and on that very note i continue to get emails and questions in like this one from ruth who writes are you guys a right-wing neocon site just would like to know something sometimes i'm getting uh, some things i'm getting seen that way Uh, Well, thank you for the question, Ruth. I do appreciate the the straightforwardness of the question. I can assure you I'm not a right-wing neocon site in the same way that I can assure all the people who have accused me of being a left-wing commie. uh, I'm I'm not on that side of the spectrum either. I'm not in that left-right paradigm. And no matter how many times I articulate this or how many times I try to put it forward... It still continues to uh, to baffle people, I suppose. People who are stuck in that and who see that I'm against some of the things they believe. Therefore, I must be on the other side of the political spectrum from them. And that happens over and over and over and over. And right now, we're in the Obama administration, so I get called a right-wing neocon all the time and absolutely when the republicans get back in power i will be called a commie again just like i was during the bush administration and i i do my best i really do my best to snap people out of that left right and i do my best to articulate what the real political paradigm is but apparently it's still there's a lot of work to be done in terms of uh spreading that message Uh, Let's move on to the next one. We have a uh, comment in on YouTube from Manufactured Lack, who wrote, uh, Do you think that Stephen Colbert is jealous because you are smarter than him? If the Corbett Report were to fight the Colbert Report, who would win? How do you stay so calm? Well, Nation, uh, I think there's no doubt about it. I've been holding out for quite a long time, but uh, let's face it, I could kick Colbert's butt. Uh, no, thank you for that uh, that uh, whimsical comment. But uh, on a slightly more serious note, it could not have been further from my mind that anyone would confuse Colbert Report with Corbett Report. When I started the Corbett Report, I wasn't—it was just not even on my radar that I was uh, naming this after Colbert or anything. But uh, I found since then that a lot of people, when they first see Corbett Report, they assume Colbert Report. It's uh, an interesting psychological phenomenon. And uh, sometimes it even plays in my favor. I even had an email from someone once who was looking for Colbert on iTunes and found Corbett and Corbett Report specifically. And uh, because of that, he started listening to the podcast and he said, I changed his political opinion. So it, you never know how those things will work, but uh, it's funny. Anyway, but that it, that leads us into the next question because... Um, That person was able to find the Corbett Report on iTunes, and that was way back in the halcyon days of the Corbett Report podcast when it was on iTunes, before Apple removed it from the iTunes store and refuses to put it back on and refuses to tell me why they won't put it back on funny how that works. So the Corbett Report podcast is not available through the iTunes store. So if you go to the iTunes store and search for Corbett Report, all you'll find is my video feed. For some reason, that's still up there, but they won't put my podcast feed up. And I've contacted uh, their support at like a thousand times. You have no idea. And, And just... Have never gotten anywhere with them. So, on that note, we got an email in from Candace who writes I used to have the podcast automatically load into iTunes. iTunes changed, and now I uh now the podcasts don't load i went to the website but don't see an address to copy and paste into itunes to resubscribe also i would like the option to subscribe to the other feeds as well i just don't understand how to link into itunes uh thank you for the email uh candace i do appreciate that and i do appreciate the question i get it from a lot of people so let's go to the desktop and i will show everyone out there who's watching the video exactly step by step how to subscribe in itunes Alright, so for those of you who are watching this video uh, podcast, you can see that we are on the desktop at CorbettReport.com. There are a few different ways to subscribe to the podcast feed, so I'll show you each one in turn. Probably the simplest, just go to the RSS feed at the top right here and click on that depending on the browser you're using, depending whether you're Mac or PC and all of the other 8 million variables, you might see something different. This is what I see when I go here. Uh, it just shows me the feed itself. And at the top, I've got subscribe to this feed using, and I can choose live bookmarks, etc. but I can choose iTunes. And if I just click subscribe now, bada bing bada boom i am subscribed to the Corbett report podcast in itunes uh let's go back let's take a look at this one uh, you can also subscribe using this link here here's the itunes symbol just click on that and again it'll tell you uh, it wants to open itunes so you, it can subscribe you to the podcast click on okay there and voila you are subscribed It's just that simple. Those are the two simplest ways. That is for the everything feed, the quote unquote everything feed. So all of the videos and all of the audio gets put into that feed. If you want one of the individual feeds, please click on subscribe at the top. And if you go to subscribe, you can see each individual feed, just the podcast episodes, just the radio, which is now defunct, just the videos, just the interviews, just the articles. You can choose which feed you want to subscribe to and click on it individually. And again, you'll get a screen like that one before that allows you to, for example, subscribe to this podcast using iTunes or whatever your podcatcher of cho- choice may be. Again, it might may look different for you depending what system you're using, but that's what I see at any rate. And so that's the easiest ways to subscribe. Subscribe. Once again, RSS is the simplest way to keep in touch with everything The Corbett Report is putting out, and it is uh, completely free, and I hope it's easy enough to do, even without the iTunes store cooperation. Thank you again, Candace. I hope that helps, and I hope that helps other people out there who are interested in subscribing to the uh, the podcast. Okay, we're running very short on time. We'll just have to fly through some of these important questions. Uh, For example, let's go to John, who writes, News of the Fukushima disaster has almost disappeared, but what is the true state of the damaged reactors? For example, can the reactors be removed from plants or are they still being cooled by the sea? What on earth is really going on? Uh, Well, thank you for the email, John. It is an important issue. Of course, people probably know by now it has long since disappeared from the mainstream radar. But um, for those who are interested, I would suggest there is a a link to TEPCO's official site so you can get their official propaganda on the current condition of each unit at the reactor. Uh, it's It's a handy dandy resource to have up your sleeve. So I will put the link again in the show notes and you can get the latest Uh, reports as they come out the official propaganda from the official uh, mouth of the horse as it were but if you want the uh, the, the straight dope, um, please go to fukushimaupdate.com and uh, you will see that on the right side there is a tag cloud with all of the most common tags on the site and in that tag cloud you will see a tag for each of the reactors separately. Reactor 1, Reactor 2, Reactor 3, Reactor 4. You can click on any of those tab tags and you will see an update as to the latest condition or the, or the latest news that's coming out about those reactors in particular so that is one way to follow what's happening at the site and i do try to keep uh the site updated at least a couple of times a week but uh again if you see any big stories that aren't up there on FukushimaUpdate.com, just send them in through the contact form i'll do my best to get them up on the site and uh finally i think we're gonna have to there's still some good questions here but i think we're gonna have to wrap it up but i wanted definitely to touch on this one Um, This one is an extremely important one from uh, David, who writes, How in the world do you get all this information, and how are you able to put it in a concise format? It must take hours of research, and aren't you afraid of the powers that be, because you are certainly being monitored. Who pays your bills, and why are you doing all this anyways? Uh, Well, thank you for the question, David. It's a valid question. Who pays the bills and why am I doing this? Well, it sounds a bit accusatory, but, um, but that being what it is, I'll answer as straightforwardly as possible. As to the question of who pays the bills, the short answer is you guys do. Uh, there, there are subscribers to the website. There are people who buy my DVDs. In addition to that, I'm partnered with BoilingFrogsPost.com, so I get paid for my video reports that I do for them. I'm partnered with with GRTV, Global Research TV, so I get paid for video reports that I do through them. And I also write the editorial for the, the International Forecaster subscriber newsletter, so I get paid for writing that editorial on a weekly basis. And through those four different sources of income, I am able to basically put enough money in the bank that I can keep a roof over my head and food on the table for myself and my wife in our one-bedroom apartment here in Japan. And we have been living paycheck to paycheck for the last couple of years now, but uh, with that being what it was and what it is, and with a new baby on the way in the next couple of months, I have actually started on Sundays, I've actually started teaching again, uh, teaching housewives and and businessmen on the side on Sundays to try to make a little extra money so that we're not living hand-to-mouth each month. So we are doing our best to prepare, and this isn't a guilt trip on anyone, and I'm not trying to lay anything out or ask for sympathy because I'm doing this since I'm doing this and it's my choice. So so there's obviously... No guilt trip here, but I am telling you that this media is literally brought to to you by you guys, and it truly does depend on your support. So for the subscribers out there, literally this website would not be here and would not be doing what it's doing without you guys. So I thank you once again Uh, to anyone else who's interested in helping out. You do not know how much it helps, even the 100 yen a month, about $1.25 a month or something in that range. Uh, An incredible help. Uh, each and every month. And it really does add up and it does help me uh, put food on on the table. So so again, uh, once again, thank you guys for your support and you guys make this podcast possible. As for the second part of David's question, why are you doing all this anyways? Uh, I guess there's a lot of different ways to articulate that. I've talked about it before in terms of how and when I came to start the website, etc. But rather than doing that spiel again, why don't I demonstrate exactly what this is about and exactly what i hope to achieve with this by recourse to an email from another listener uh his name is nick and he writes hello james i am 26 year old american citizen who has been sick for a very long time for the past two years i have worked sparingly and lived at my mother's house in a deep depression not wanting anything for myself or members of my family in life Prior to that, I constantly was either in school and working, or working two jobs since I was 15 years old. I started looking through YouTube videos and clicking through the sidebar, and I was introduced to your videos, as well as those of storm clouds gathering, and I began to wake up from my stupor. I watched your past videos for 37 hours straight. I was finally able to pinpoint why I felt that there was something intrinsically wrong with the system I had been working so hard in, and the education system that had failed me and several of my friends. I began to connect the dots as to why I only have one friend whose parents are still together, and both of them actually care about him. That was about a month ago now, and in that time I have gotten two jobs, concrete laborer, server, and lost 27 pounds. Your videos help me realize many things, but the most important of those is that I am responsible for myself, my family, and our future. I started to learn trivium, gardening, seed saving, concrete work, water collection, and I am even planning on buying my first 10 ounces of silver within the next month. I stopped taking my antidepressants and anti- anti-anxiety medication, and I haven't felt this healthy in my life. Sometimes I feel like I should be scared for what these powerful banksters and governments have planned for me, but I don't. They cannot steal this feeling of freedom I have gained from getting informed, and if they try, I will defend it with my life. Thank you, James. Your videos helped turn my life around, and for that, I will always be grateful. Well, uh, what can I possibly say to that except thank you so much for sending that email in, Nick. That is precisely why I do what I do. And I don't get emails like that very often, but when I do it absolutely humbles me to think that I have had any part in helping to uh, to help shape someone's understanding of the world so that they can turn their lives around. Make no mistake, I'm not claiming anything that I had something to do with it. All I'm trying to do is help people understand the world around them better so that they can take the personal initiative to turn their lives around. And if that has happened even once, as in the case with someone like Nick, then the entire website has been worth it. And it is absolutely humbling to think that That this media is helping to affect people's perceptions of the world like that. So that is exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing. I am under no uh, delusions that I'm some great important person in the world or that I'm going to single-handedly change the world but I do believe that the message of personal empowerment is one that people out there will resonate with and will find ways to apply to their own life and that is exactly why I am here doing what I'm doing and hopefully it's why you guys are tuning in and hopefully learning along in this adventure Adventure, And speaking of learning, tons of information in the show notes for this episode. Lots of links to the things that we've talked about today. We've gone well over the 30-minute mark now, so I'm just going to wrap it up, even though there are still some good questions left. On that note, once again, I am uh, James Corbett, CorbettReport.com. Thank you, guys. Looking forward to talking to you again soon. The Corbett Report is brought to you by the 2010 Video Archive DVD. Buy your copy today at CorbettReport.com.